Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Got a great show for you today. My uh, close pal, Michael Portner, NFL agent from Delta Sports Group, joins to uh, recap uh, how he signed Orlando Brown to a four-year, $64 million deal with the Cincinnati Bengals, including the largest signing bonus for an offensive lineman in NFL history. The whole thing is a wild story, and Portner gives you a very up-close and personal uh, glimpse at how some of these contract negotiations go down. The whole thing is crazy. He negotiated the deal from ESPN's campus uh, while working in uh, by, behind the studio as Orlando Brown is on the plethora of shows on ESPN. Just wild. And then in one of the greatest flexes in this podcast history, Portner just called up Orlando in the middle of the podcast. So we had a, got a cameo from Orlando Brown on this podcast. So he is now a podcast guest. It counts. Uh, you know, no one's going to ask how he got him on. It counts. So that's just a lot of fun. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Buckle up. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you. The podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked at the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modding mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Check them out right now. Basketball season may be over, but NASCAR is still uh, running and gunning. They are crushing it over there on the track. Mark Harris and the guys at Skybox NASCAR. Got NBA playoffs coming up. Got MLB, all kinds of good stuff to uh, Build up your bankroll before football season is here again. Check them out. All you have to do is go online, find a picks package that fits your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month, whatever. Select it. Type in the promo code RIPPY, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. If you're into wagering, you need to use Skybox Sports Picks. It's the only way to profit in the long run. They're the professionals. They go off the data. You're going to thank yourself later. It is well worth the investment. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Ride subscriber, that's rippyrides.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats right now. The Rippy Ride special is three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation that you're getting for 20 bucks and of a hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Just go in, show him proof of subscription, and he'll get you set up. Then go find all of your own favorites. LB's is the best butcher shop in the world. There's all kinds of delicious stuff. It's really just the crown jewel of Oxford. Greg is the man. He wants to make your grilling experience awesome. Check him out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is NFL agent Michael Portner on how he secured the largest signing bonus for an offensive lineman in NFL history. All right, we now welcome on recurring guest Delta Sports Group sports agent uh my close friend michael portner we uh we figured we'd have you back on after uh kind of the busy season is over with you are now uh repping a player with a long-term contract in orlando brown jr we last talked to you in december now that all that's kind of in the rear view how you feeling how's everything going obviously things have got to be pretty well on your end yeah everything is good right off the bat thanks for having me back on it's always a pleasure to be able to hop on and be able to talk with you on this platform that you've built and created a following. And thanks to all the listeners who who tune in to the story since I've started with uh, three. I was about to say, you get the request. People request you. That didn't happen with every guest. Yeah, I know. That's what's great. That's what makes me smile about this and gets me excited to come on is it all started with, with three NIL hockey players in Boston, not really knowing what's going on and me reaching out to you being like, will you please have me on the podcast to now it's where I'm asking you. Yeah, it's a great feeling to uh, <laughs> to have a request when you say these people on the message board want you on. Let's talk. It's like, yes, let's do it. 
So first off, thanks to everybody for tuning in to the story and listening. It's a really cool thing for me personally. Um, but to your first point, it's a great feeling right now. The huge thing that's the hardest thing to get done in this business, the mega deal is done. I can now fully move in confidence wherever I go because I know, hey, I got the the chip off my shoulder per se to, hey, I know I can do this. I know what it looks like. The final result was a great final result. And now I just, I almost feel like I, I kind of know what I'm doing now. I'm not in a fight or flight mode anymore. I can move. Uh, the word I want to use again is confidence. I can move in confidence with, with my moves and strategy and everything because I do have that big deal done and under my belt. The momentum is there. I haven't really taken a breath or paused or really been able to sit back and reflect because it is still a let's carry this momentum forward until we get to a point to where I can kind of stop and take a breath and that time will come. But to answer your question, yeah, everything feels good. I feel really happy, blessed and thankful to be in the spot I'm in right now. I bet you mean that literally too, because you've escaped that Boston uh, winter, which is still very much winter there. And now you've moved, you've relocated down to Miami. I imagine the weather has got to be a little bit better where you're at. Yeah, I got some, uh, I think it's vitamin C. Is it vitamin C from the sun that gets on me now? So my mood's a little bit better all the time. The sun's not going down at 4.30 in the afternoon. I'm not having North End Italians yelling at me to uh, to screw off or get get back home. So I'm in a in a good spot when it comes to where I'm living now down in Miami. It was definitely a good move for me and my family to be to be down here in the, the sunshine and weather of, of Miami. I got yelled at for leaving your wedding in LaGuardia for accidentally cutting in line at LaGuardia Wendy's. And I was like, one, last thing I needed the way I was feeling was that. And two, I was like, we're not in the South anymore, man. People roll differently up in the Northeast. But anyway, you relocated down there. Um, but it's crazy. You mentioned something off the top. You talk about like we had you on the first time was December of 2021. And that was less than 18 months ago. And at the time, not that you didn't literally didn't know who he was, but like Orlando Brown Jr. was not really in the picture at that time. And now what, 15 months later, you sit here. The reason that stuck out to me was just because the Kyle Valaquette kid you had as a uh, NIL, the hockey guy, was like unintentionally one of the more interesting podcasts I've ever done because I just peppered him with questions about hockey. And then I looked up and I was like, oh, shit, I've kept him an hour and 45 minutes. I got to wrap this up. But it's just crazy to think about how far it's come in such a short time, because I imagine in a lot of ways it feels like a long time ago, but then you probably have to pinch yourself every now and again and be like, hey, this was actually not very long ago at all. Yeah, no, Orlando Brown Jr. changed my life in the best way possible, man. It's been so cool. And that all happened last June. I still haven't even been working for him for a full year. And we've been through a franchise tag, a full season, a Super Bowl win, a non-franchise tag that was not expected to now in a new home, um, which couldn't have worked out any better. But yeah, you kind of have to pinch yourself sometimes and look back to where you were a year ago. I was just crazy, absolutely crazy. But thankful he took the leap of leap of faith with me because uh, it's definitely changed my life for the better. That's for sure. So we had you on in the summer after you went through the first round of contract negotiations and ultimately a deal didn't get done. One of the crazy things that uh, the NFL has, it's probably one of the more powerful ownership tools in uh, professional sports is the franchise tag to where is it's not an all or nothing type thing to where you either get a deal done or there's ultimately a compromise. They have this kind of out card where it's like, we'll kick the can down the road on a 
very short-term player-friendly deal, but it's really not player-friendly at all because obviously there's no guaranteed long-term money. It's a very interesting kind of wrench in what your typical in the contract negotiations um, would normally be like in other professional sports. But I, I guess to package that into a question is we already talked to you about how that went the first time. I know you obviously would have liked to have gotten a deal done, but you had to do right by your client. And if it wasn't the right deal, you can't just take it to get one done. When you go through the season and you're entering kind of the round of contract negotiations, the second time through, we'll call it, what is that like? Like how much discussion is going on during the season? Like, did it pick back up after? What was that timeline like until like when it started ramping back up again, ultimately to getting the deal done? Um, not a ton of talk back and forth. There are definitely some pleasantries throughout the season. Met the guys that we negotiated against down on the field a few times at some Chiefs games. But it was all ramping up post-Super Bowl. And everybody, everybody, including us, assumed, thought that it was going to be another franchise tag. We were going to go through the same song and dance until July 15th. And then the combine happened. And I'm on the road down to Miami moving. And I get a call from a reporter saying, hey, they're not going to franchise tag Orlando. What the hell is going on? So that just changed everything to where we had a great strategy to embrace the franchise tag this year and kind of go Kirk Cousins approach to where, okay, hey, if you're not giving us what we want, we'll just explode this thing next year. But the Chiefs, in the most respectful way possible, went to the, the combine and changed everything up and just basically painted the picture that Orlando, who just won a Super Bowl as a starting left tackle, was actually a right tackle. So they went and did a number on him at the combine and that changed everything to where when we actually got down and had the phone calls, there wasn't too much back and forth going on. It was, Hey, it's going to be where it at was last year. That's the value we're looking at. Like good luck on the open market. Come back to us if you want to. And that was kind of where everything changed with the whirlwind of what really happened when it opened up to free agency. Which is crazy because, and look, the Chiefs are not unique in this thing, but it's you think it's like this billion-dollar business, like everything's supposed to be so official, but there's like a middle school gossip element of it too, to where that's kind of the sports off-season mecca. And that clearly was not just someone having a couple beers at whatever that bar all those people hang out with by Lucas Oil Stadium and it's slipping out. That was a tactical approach to what they were doing. And I, I'm just curious, like, as you go through this process and you continue to learn things like that had to be a pretty eye opening moment to where it's like, oh, like, here's their play. Like, honestly, you probably had to respect part of it and just like, wow, didn't see this coming. Like they caught us off guard. Like that had to be a little bit of a learning moment for you. Of, oh, this is how this goes sometimes. Yeah, we fully everything was geared towards Orlando being a Kansas City Chief this upcoming year. Right, he's coming off a Super Bowl, he played great in the Super Bowl. Like it, you know, the vibe seemed good on the surface. And he played, he played great in the Super Bowl. Zero sacks, Pro Bowl left tackle, left tackle, left tackle, left tackle. He is a left tackle, and then all of a sudden it's oh, actually, we're he's a right tackle. We view him as this, and then at the combine, the middle school gossip part of it, all of a sudden now. The uh, the Chiefs who just have won the Super Bowl are saying Orlando's a right tackle. More than a few people listen to that. More than a few people yeah, oh, yeah. are like, oh, okay, well, shoot, if the Chiefs are saying this, uh, then that's what we're going to value him at too. 
So that was immediately like, oh, we have a huge hill to climb um, because he is a left tackle. He's not going to settle for anything other than being a left tackle because that's what he is. And again, it was just big time uh, a learning moment not to to expect anything or not to assume anything of, okay, this is what can happen. This is truly a machine that once the word gets rolling around on the machine, if you're not on top of it and willing to fight back against it, that machine will eat you up, chop you out, and you can be um, valued at one, one position where you're actually at another, which is just insane to me. But that's what happened. It's incredibly powerful, too. And all the evidence you need of that is like when a guy drops in the draft, yep. it's not necessarily because every team hates him. It all of a sudden becomes this thing of, well, why they pass on him? Why they pass on him? Something must be wrong with him. Not the perfect example, but the Laramie Tunso gas mask bong thing is like I could see why maybe the Texans, when that thing drops 90 seconds before draft, like it's their time on the clock. It's like, OK, maybe we got a balk here. But 10 other teams have an hour and a half to figure out that. Oh, okay. All the guy did was smoke some weed. Like I doubt anyone by pick seven actually gave a shit whether Laramie Tunsil was smoking weed, but it just became this, oh, well, they passed, they passed. I don't know if we can take him. And it's like this group thing mentality that snowballs to the detriment of the player most of the time. So it makes it so powerful. But so from that standpoint, isn't there a great sense of irony to some degree that the quote unquote replacement for Orlando was a guy that played right tackle in Jacksonville? What did you think of that little cherry on top of things? Um, at that point, it was just such a, I didn't even think deep into that. It was just a, Hey, look, this is what it is. The fact that they are viewing him as what we kind of wanted from them just shows that, look, they really didn't love you, Orlando. They really didn't value you at this piece. Like the bridge is burned. We got to do something else here. Um, because we know what just happened. Look what happened at the combine. Look who they just signed. Like there wasn't, I didn't even think about it now till the irony of it, to be straight with you. But, but yeah, yeah it was kind of like, uh, yeah, it was just a, a bridges burn type thing with this. Well, there was a better way for me to ask that is that what I probably should have asked is, do you think they actually saw him as a right tackle or they were trying to drive his value down a little bit to get a more team friendly deal? I'll go with the second one. That's what I'm thinking. Because when you sign a dude that played right tackle at Jacksonville, I just, I I mean, that was something I thought of in the moment too. When you said something about the, what they were saying at the combine, I was like, wait a minute, they signed a guy from Jacksonville. Anyway, it's crazy how all of that works out. I want to get to what happened with like after that and how he became a Bengal. But I want to circle back to one thing really quick that you mentioned earlier. You guys were fine going into the year doing another franchise tag and this is the part where I'm going to have to defer to you. I know all of it's a, a very complicated, but can he play on the same type of tag two years in a row? I know there's an exclusive tag and a non-exclusive tag. Would y'all have been doing a different type of tag? Like, what was that like? Yeah, it would have been the same exact thing, but the money would have been 144% greater than last year. So that's where the money oh. comes in because that meant – they were going to value him no matter what by league rules at one year guaranteed $19.9 million. And the Chiefs said, we don't think he's worth that. We don't want to pay Orlando that, which then that was the kind of like, well, damn, then you sign the other guy at pretty much 20 a year. Um, like, okay, that's, that's where we are. But yeah, that would have been honestly like a pretty good situation to be in with, Okay, we'll just play at 19.9 guaranteed and then hit the open market next year. But that was the strategy and they didn't, you know, they got crafty with it. They didn't allow that to happen. 
And so I know you mentioned the combine. Take me through the bridge in time between. So I had talked to you a little bit, like obviously that Monday morning when they signed whoever it was from Jacksonville, and you did not seem surprised by it. I don't think we talked in a few weeks. Obviously, you're very busy or whatever. But at that point when it came out, it was obviously a surprise to like someone who's viewing this from the outside like me. You were not surprised by it at that point. At what point, I guess to ask is like, at what point did you know, hey, we're going to have to go look elsewhere? How soon? Um, Realistic. I mean, when that deal went through, when you, I got a text saying, are you sure you don't want this deal? Like, are you sure you don't want oh, really? what we were offering last year? And I was like, look, we'll, we'll, we can talk. Like, let's make something happen. He wants to be in Kansas City. We pushed. We wanted him to be in Kansas City, but we couldn't take the same deal as last year. We just couldn't. Like, that defeated the whole purpose of everything. So once they weren't willing to come off what they were last year, and I said, okay, well, then that, you know, we cleared it with everything. And it is what it is. And then as soon as we sent back that, I uh, get up about three minutes later. Okay, deal done with Jawan. Is it Jawan Taylor? Yeah, Jawan yeah. Taylor negotiated by Drew Rosenhaus. And it's like, ah, classic. <laughs> that, that is classic. So take me through the next couple of days and how it leads up into ultimately um, Orlando becoming a Cincinnati Bengal because – Look, I know you had probably had – look, at the end of the day, Orlando is a pro bowl left tackle. It's not like he was going to be halfway into training camp without a job and be like, hey, can I sign on a practice squad somewhere? Not the situation you were in. But when a plan changes like that in a high-stakes game such as NFL free agent negotiations, there has to be a little bit of kind of a shock moment of like, okay, where do we go from here? You know, I imagine there's probably a brief period of time where the league is reacting to what's happening here. So there's probably not as many phone calls as you thought. Take me through that process and kind of how you found your bearings next after you moved on from Kansas City. Yeah, so we just hit the phone, man. Called every team, even if they didn't need a left tackle. With, hey, it's done in Kansas City. Like, we got him. What are we interested in? That's or like, what are you interested in? Like, let's try to make something happen. He's just won the Super Bowl, so left tackle. X, Y, Z. And then it turned into that's when we really learned. No, the league views him as a right tackle because of and what it, happened in the combine. Yeah. And that's then, wild. yeah. And then that's where also it got to the point to jump ahead a little bit. The Tuesday of, of, uh, of free agency to end the day. It's Adam Schefter on NFL live saying, well, all of this is happening because they view him as a right tackle. Oh my. And it's like, oh, we've come full circle. So all of these calls we're expecting to have happen. And, okay, this should be boom, boom, boom. Orlando just won the Super Bowl as a left tackle, four-time Pro Bowl left tackle. Somebody's going to want him as a left tackle. But when you hear Adam Schefter say that, and after all the calls that we had, we had a little bit of – we had four or five teams interested. We heard a lot of no's. We heard a lot of he's too expensive. Um, like, good luck, you'll be able to do this, whatever. But when you hear Adam Schefter say it, it's like, okay, interesting. Like, that is what happened. That is exactly what happened to where that we had some good interest going in Tuesday night from a few teams and then Wednesday morning. It all happened with Cincinnati. So we call Cincinnati. We talked to I talked to Orlando late that night. And it's like, yeah, let's let's make Cincinnati happen. So it's just so weird, strangely enough, lined up to where we had it planned for Orlando to be um, on NFL Live and Sports Center that Wednesday and then get up and the JKM show in New York that Thursday. 
because we expected him not to be in negotiations because of the franchise tag, right? So are you following that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now it makes sense. Yeah. So that Wednesday, though, we Orlando flies in, picks us up. I'm in D.C. doing all of the contract negotiations with Orlando's mentor, Jamal, who helped uh, really plan and strategize and really had the the strategy of what we needed to do in place. And then I really executed it with him. Um, and I get picked up Wednesday morning. Um, first time I've ever flown in a private jet. Orlando comes and picks us up. And I'm about to hop on the jet and we get the first offer from Cincinnati. And it was very much so in the ballpark of what we were looking for. On the phone, I let him know that, hey, we want this front loaded deal. We want, I know on this show specifically, I've said that you want in a good contractor, guaranteed at signing, good cash flows in year one and year two, and then the guaranteed money and structure. Then you want to look at APY. So we laid all that out the way they wanted it done too, because of all the guys they're about to have to pay was front loaded. So once we were on the same understanding of here's how the structure's got to be, here's what the numbers got to be, like, let's make this happen. And right before we hop on the jet for the first time, we get the, the first offer. And it's like, okay, interesting. And sent back a counter offer literally in midair flying into Bristol, Connecticut. That's pretty wild. All right, so pause real quick because this is an incredible story. I want to circle back to the beginning for just a second. You mentioned when it was over with the Chiefs, you event you immediately got on the phone and called every team whether they needed a left tackle or not. This might be a dumb or obvious question, but how did you know to do that versus letting them come to you? Well, we have to make things happen with this with this game. Like you, you're the one that's in charge of making stuff happen. So if the phones aren't ringing off the hook, damn it, it's your job to make it happen. And also, we had a few days of lead time to where Kansas city was like, go test the open market. So we went out and made, like I made calls, made some calls around the league and it was very much so on the, yeah, we're going to be the ones to make this happen, especially in the wake of all this right tackle stuff. So that's how we knew, like, if I was just going to sit there, I don't know if anything would have happened. So that was gave the, the, like, we just knew, like, the whole time I was hitting the phones working it anyway. It's like there was never a period of time where the Chiefs were like, no, and then we went into panic mode. Like, I want to clear that up if that's the case. No, no, no that's not what I'm asking at all. I, I know exactly why, like, that wasn't the case. I was just curious, like, if, I don't know, to me, that if I were an agent, which I'm obviously not, and I've never worked a day in those shoes, that would not be something that was obvious to me. I'd kind of wait to see if the phone rang. And then, obviously, after a while, I'd probably think, okay, we probably need to initiate it. But the fact that you got immediately on the phone's, was interesting to me. Yeah. Did you know that, that that was a common practice? Like the reason I asked that is like, did you worry at all about coming off? You have a pro bowl left tackle who just won a Super Bowl and didn't allow a sack. Did you worry at all about coming off as desperate? Like the other end of the phone being like, why in the world is this guy calling me if he's representing <laughs> a pro bowl left tackle? I guess that's why I was asking that. Yeah, like, did yeah, you yeah. ever think about that? Yeah, of course. Of course. You don't want to sound like a desperate one, but just also we're not calling begging for a deal. We're calling, right. with, hey, are you interested? And okay. if so, like, let's talk. And that's where we narrowed it down to by the time we got a full no from the Chiefs, we already knew what the five to 10 teams who may be interested were to where we narrowed down the list like that way. So it was never calling enough. But yeah, that did to answer your question. Of course, that did enter the mind of we don't want to call around too early and make it too desperate 
but also there's a job to do. We got to make sure we're on top of everything um, if and when this does happen. And just to make sure I have the timeline right, when or you guys had that pre-planned ESPN car wash on that Wednesday, is that correct? Um, yeah, it was the interview. I don't know where you got car wash from. Car, oh, sorry, car wash. <laughs> That's a media term where you go do multiple shows. Oh, okay. Got, oh, like yeah, I learned something there. Then yes, we've got to yeah. do this. We had the car wash all planned. Gotcha. You taught me yeah, something. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah, just they go on to ESPN's campus, do the multiple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that was okay. planned. That was planned in like. I mean, after the, a week after the Super Bowl. Right. No, no. Yeah. I know it was pre-planned. So that's that Wednesday. Yeah. So you guys leave where? Miami? No, I'm in D.C. I went and hunkered okay. down with uh, Jamal Brown's uh, Orlando's mentor because that was just how it needed to be. We needed to be together for everything because he really did the strategy and the planning. And there's nobody better to know the points to sell Orlando than him as close as they are to where he was a huge asset and everything, of course just as support and also like, okay, here's, here's what needs to happen. Here's how we can talk football to these guys on this. But yeah, I'm in DC. Orlando flies in from Kansas city, picks us up and we head up to Bristol once everything starts happening and unfolding, because here's the thing too, um, to mention is everybody expected a deal to be done day one or day two of free agency. We're now in day three to where even before Orlando gets on for ESPN, Adam Schefter's in Orlando's year saying, hey, man, you might need to be doing looking at a one-year deal. Uh, you might need to be doing this. This whole thing might have gone south on you all while we're sitting there like, hey, we're actually getting pretty close to Cincinnati. And we're in Bristol at the headquarters, and we pretty much come to agreements on terms of what the numbers needed to look like while Orlando's on live TV, um, and I'm in – you know, the the studio sitting there walking around like, no, 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 we got to have this for the signing bonus. We want this. We got to have it a little bit better. Can you change the numbers around? And we got to agreeance. We got to where we want to where he was like from the Bengals. He said, if I walk back in there to the owner's uh, um, office one more time, they're going to shut the, like close the door in my face and tell me to get the hell out. So that's what's like, okay, we pushed enough. Here's what it is. This is a really good spot to be. And then we got, yeah, question you, anything there? Yeah, yeah. So what I want to ask next, the reason I asked that, I want to make sure I have the timeline right, is one, the the way this went down is so crazy to me. And I think that's an important like aspect of this. And the reason I asked that is you mentioned right before y'all got on the plane to go to Bristol, you got your first contact from Cincinnati. I know this sounds like a dumb question, but like what time is that call coming in the morning? When you get that first call from Cincinnati, where were you? What was that like? Oh, so, okay. So to clear that up, um, we had had a few conversations with Cincy, but then at like, no lie, that Wednesday, maybe like 6.30 a.m., it's, hey, we had a 45-minute call of what this needs to look like. And then we got the first offer. So he's texted me and said, what's your email? Which was like, oh gosh, green light, we're about to get an offer at around 10.30, 11 that morning, something along those lines. And that was the first offer that we saw. And again, it was it wasn't quite there. It was in the ballpark, but it was like, okay, game on. So you have that conversation right before you guys get on the plane pretty early that morning. One of the wild aspects of me, and this just might be the childish aspect of me coming out, but you mentioned first time you flew private. Y'all can communicate on the plane. There's Wi-Fi and stuff. Could you make a phone call through the air if you wanted to? How does the fancy life work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could have. We had Wi-Fi set up. And again, I sent back the first counter offer like in midair going back to 
to Cincinnati, I mean, going into Bristol. And then when we landed, we had another counter offer from them. And on the ride from the airport to ESPN headquarters on the phone for that 20, 30 minute drive, like keep shuffling it out, you know, coming, coming closer to a deal. So what's Orlando's schedule that day? Like what, in terms of like, you mentioned him going on Get Up and you mentioned another show. What was the plan that day in terms of him going through the media car wash, as you learned? Car wash. I know. I love that term now. I'm going to use it. Um, (laughs) So he had, I forget the exact timeline, but he had NFL Live at what, say four o'clock at Easter? Yeah, mid-afternoon. And then he did a pre-tape for SportsCenter that night. And then the next morning, he was live on Get Up at, say, what, 9 a.m., something like that, in Manhattan. Okay, gotcha. And so at that point, you do the uh, NFL Live, and then you do, you mentioned the pre-tape for SportsCenter. At what point on your end, as you're doing, to kind of quote the movie character of one of your mentors, the Jerry Maguire routine in the background, at what point do you know, like, okay, this is actually about to happen? Um, When we settled on the highest signing bonus ever for offensive linemen. When he did said, you we know, in it. your mind, that did you know that was the highest signing bonus ever? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, that's what we were fighting for. Um, so that goes into that's a that's a different conversation of why that highest signing bonus ever is important because that goes into those cash flows in years one and years two of like no matter no matter what happens, if you have a huge signing bonus, then even if you don't play ball ever again, you get that money. So that's what added the layer of security um, for Orlando being able to agree to that deal. But then also it was a huge win to be able to, hey, first deal ever done. Orlando for the rest of his life got to reset the signing bonus market of highest signing bonus ever for offensive tackle. And I imagine to some degree at the same time, you're doing the agent thing. You're probably having to step into my sphere a little bit where your guy has to be focused for whatever TV thing he's doing. Like, did you have to balance it all, kind of letting him in on how much is going on? Like, like, did you not withhold anything, but were you careful with like, hey, we're close here or whatnot? So he didn't go on like NFL Live five minutes after you told him something and was like, oh, oh God. Like, how did you handle that part of it while he's on live TV, keeping him abreast of what's happening? Yeah, so Orlando's just a pro at all that. He's so good at media that he was He is able- very good at that. I I may have mentioned that to you before. I've listened to some podcasts he's done and some TV stuff. He he can talk. He he yeah. should have been a podcaster if he wasn't an NFL left tackle. So, anyway, but go ahead. But to answer your question, though, no, he was fully aware of the ins and outs. He knew what the first offer looked like. He knew what everything looked like and it was a he was fully aware of what was happening, but he kept it to himself. All again, he's sitting there with this information and Adam Schefter sitting there in the Adam Schefter voice saying, hey, now you might you might be looking at a one year deal. That's what I would suggest you do. And that's where Orlando being able to play it cool still went on live TV. The entire nation thinks he's sitting there without a deal all while we're like inching closer and closer to where that's a huge tip of the cap to Orlando, man. I mean. He handled that stuff like such a pro, even better than a pro. I don't even know the word for it. To that, to be able to go on a live national TV with those guys getting after you like that, um, thinking you don't have a deal when all you want to do is yell at them, hey, we're real close, but keeping it to yourself um, is just huge. But yeah, to answer your question, he was fully aware of every every twist and turn of what was happening. You semi teed me up to go down a rabbit hole that I probably shouldn't because I don't want to get you in trouble too. But on the, I will 
scratch the surface lightly. I get that Adam Schefter has more juice than your like average college reporter. We'll call it that work in a college beat. But it was wild to me to learn that you had a media member who just covers the NFL as a reporter throwing suggestions to multi-million dollar athletes of like, hey, this is what you should do. This is what I would do if I were you. Like, Congrats, 5'7", Adam Schefter. I appreciate that. But like, why don't you take your opinion and shove it? Is would be my reaction. I'm not putting words in your mouth here. But that was just absolutely wild to me. And I get professional sports is a different game. You got locker room access. Agents use the media more where you don't really need the media in college, but you do in professional sports. I get that it's different. But that, that was just wild to me. But it does add another element to it. You're right. Orlando had to handle that like a pro where you have people like in his ear telling him stuff not asking him questions but honestly being like this is the way it should go and he's having to go on live tv and kind of keep it together i i can't imagine how difficult that was so you guys you guys get it done at what time of the day is orlando done with are y'all leaving bristol have y'all left bristol when do you guys figure out that hey like this is this is happening this is done okay so we're leaving bristol we have the numbers set it's been said that, hey, if I go back to the owner's office, they're going to slam the door in my face and tell me to get the hell out. Which so, told you not to push anymore, which I thought was right. Which was like, okay, here, here's what it is. Um, then it turns into, okay, one, Orlando, are you going to be, are you good with this? Let's talk through all the pros of what's happening. And that's where we went into this is pretty much the exact opposite of the Kansas City deal. This is where you get to go back and have another bite at the apple by age 30. Here's what the money looks like. Here's what you'll have happen. Are you good with this? And that took, you know, the conversation. We did our due diligence, had to hear Orlando out, had to hear how everything was moving and shaking. And then once it got to where, okay, we're going to be good with this. Let's do it. Then it turns into the, okay, I got to get the contract language. I got to read through to make sure everything's good to go squared away. Every word is what it should be and that there's no funny business going on in the actual, you know, I think it's a 12 page contract, something like that to where that took some time, right? That took some time to where we were settled on numbers and I had to get the actual contract to us, which I didn't get till we got into Manhattan and settled at the hotel that night, maybe around seven or eight o'clock. Okay, so you get that. How long does that take to go through? I mean, I'm 12-page contract. Obviously, you can't just skim over the sucker. I imagine that had to take a few hours. Like, at what point you do that, I imagine you send it back, whatever you're in agreement on all that. But, like, at what point do you go from work mode to you can sit back and celebrate that night? You mentioned around 7 o'clock. Like, what, what, what happens? How long does that take? It was probably 7 o'clock when I got the contract language. And, yeah, I was no skimming. I mean, <laughs> I read every single word of that thing. I compared it to different contracts to make sure that it matched the top layer of contracts. Because what I learned, too, is there's like a free agency and stuff or any contract. There's about five tiers of contract language. And we weren't settling for anything other than the top tier of contract language for Orlando, of course. So I just had to make sure everything checked out. That took two, three, four hours maybe. And then it was like, okay, the contract language is good. Um, we went all, everybody that was there, was, um, we went down to the hotel bar, ordered a drink and sat around and talked one last time of like, are we ready to do this? Like, what do we think? Because we had to drop it to the media, right? That's how it all, all unfolded to where we honestly, man, we sat there, we said a prayer and it was like, let's do it. And once we did that, I called the guy from Cincinnati, told him we're in, let's do this. And Orlando talked to him, hung up the phone, and I sent the tweet, the text message to the 
um, to the reporters, uh, to Tom Pelissero of here's what it is. Here's what we're doing and let's get after it. Like that's, that's what it is. And I think he had it out in like maybe 30 seconds. It was kind of ridiculous, but I, I tweeted, I sent it to him and Jeremy Fowler and, uh, and Tom beat Jeremy to the punch by a little bit. So that's once, once though, once that text was sent and the call was made to, uh, to Cincinnati, it turned into, all right, let's, let's enjoy this. Well, what a whirlwind this has been. Incredible flex leaving NFL live where you have five, seven chefs are telling you what to do and just not giving him the the, the scoop. That's, that's a nice cherry on top of all of this. I, I very much enjoyed that from a media aspect. There, there's to put it out there. There's nothing against Schefter at all. No, he no was, it's a business. Uh, he, was the sharing, business. he was sharing great knowledge of 30 years on, on the, uh, the job of what it should look like, what it usually looks like, what he's probably looking like. I might need to refrain. Like, I don't think he even may have suggested that's what he should do. It was more of like, here's what you're looking at. So I want to make sure that there's zero, zero hard feelings, nothing like that against uh, Adam out there, because that's not how I want to roll with this business and everything. But but yeah, I have a really good working relationship with Tom and Jeremy to where they help me a ton with a lot of different media contacts and things along that line. So, yeah, they they were the ones who got the scoop. Yeah, and I was mostly kidding, tongue in cheek, like with the chapter piece of it. I just like from like the college perspective, I can't imagine walking up to Lane and being like, "Hey, you and Sexton, here's how I would handle this Auburn leverage thing. Like, you need to do it this way." He'd be like, "Who the hell are you, dude?" It just—it's crazy, like how the different media environments are. So that happens before we get to kind of the celebration and what happens next, because you guys did some really cool stuff in the days after you get welcomed into Cincinnati, which oddly enough, this small world stuff keeps happening. I lived there for a summer. I love that place. It's an incredible city. When the cheat to back up to the beginning of it, when Cincinnati first made contact with y'all, you know, you have this team that you've played for, for what, a couple years now, and you can seem like you're a mile away on what you think a contract should look like. Then a new team comes into the mix how did you bridge that gap? Like how, like, I imagine they were pretty acutely aware of the situation. I'm just curious, how did y'all get it into a reasonable ballpark pretty quickly with Cincinnati? Like, did y'all have very far to go or did they understand what the situation was with Orlando once they figured out he was moving on from KC, if that makes sense? Yeah. So that big phone call at like, what did I say? It's maybe 6.30 or 7 that Wednesday morning set the parameters. If it has to be in this ballpark or we're not like, you know, moot point. And that's where the parameters were set of what the structure needed to look like. So hit it over the head again, what those cash flows in his pocket year one and year two needed to look like, what the signing bonus needed to look like. We set the range. Of course, they came in lower than, you know, you wanted, but what, a you know, they sent over a, a first offer. What's the point of the negotiation if they're not going to do that, right? So then once they were in the ballpark, though, is that the question? They once they were in that ballpark, though, that was uh, negotiating, pulling every last drop out that we could. That was my question. Like I know y'all go back and forth with semantics. I'm just curious. Like, how did y'all get to? Okay, they know what a reasonable first offer is because it seems like you know with the Chiefs, y'all were miles apart at different times. Where a new team comes in, I just think it's interesting that they kind of knew the situation uh, in a very short amount of time. Yeah, well, I think it goes down to they truly valued and wanted Orlando there, man. They knew what his value really was, and they wanted to to have Orlando there as their left tackle. They really, I think, so they knew that this first offer needed to come in somewhat respectable, to use that word, because yeah. they wanted him there. And that's the simple 
answer to it is they really wanted him there to where you can look at some of the things that happened with KC. I don't know if they really wanted him there for what he was worth. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing. You know, I'd kind of joked about you uh, with you a little bit about like Kansas city or excuse me, Cincinnati, like historically has been known as like one of the cheaper franchises in pro sports. But when Joe Burrow got there, they've started spending tons of money in free agency and they're not just throwing money. They're operating smartly. Like whether it's the Jamar chase thing or the way they've handled some contracts with Mike bringing in Mike Hilton from Pittsburgh, whoever is running the show there. Now, I don't know the guy's name off the top of my head. They're making very smart football decisions and opening their pockets a little bit more. And so to, I guess to put that into an actual question is, did you realize when you started talking to Cincinnati that, hey, this whole gossip about Orlando being a right tackle, not that many people actually believe it. They just initially got scared of it, but a lot of teams actually think that he's a left tackle. It's just weird to me that a bunch of NFL teams would go to the combine and be like, oh, this guy's all of a sudden a right tackle when he's played half a decade in the NFL at left tackle. Like, did you get the sense that all that like, OK, these teams don't actually view him that way. It's a leverage play. Yeah, I'm not sure. I just know that the Bengals viewed him as a left tackle and wanted him as a left tackle. That's really all I can speak to. I don't know about the other teams with a leverage play or not, but the I mean, I don't think there's any love lost between Cincinnati and Kansas City right now. So if there's anybody to Yeah, that's another element of the city, it might have been been the Bengals. And their own, you can tell as soon as we got there, they're they're ready to win a Super Bowl. That entire city, that entire franchise is ready for a Super Bowl. And they put their money where their mouth is that Orlando's that missing piece. And that's a great segue into what happens next. You guys sign the contract. You're in Manhattan that night. Take me through what happens next, getting to Cincinnati and kind of the parade and the fanfare that ensues after that. Yeah, same thing. We take a take a jet from Manhattan outside of Manhattan into Cincinnati and Zach Taylor is on the runway. Knows all of us by name, gives us huge hugs. We have a driver there taking us into the facility. They rolled out the red carpet. It was, you could just really feel the love from everybody there, how excited they were about the move. Back to your point of they don't normally spin like that, but the fact that they did spin like that for Orlando, I think the entire town, the entire city could feel like, okay, we're on the cusp of like a Super Bowl here. Orlando's that piece for us. We're so happy he's here that it was just such a good day. It was a really cool feeling. Um, Even when I'm leaving to head home that night, it's the first round of March Madness. And in the airport, they didn't have the games on. They had on Orlando's uh, conference. They had him hugging Zach Taylor off the uh, plane. All of those things, every part of that organization was happy with having Orlando there. Did you fly into the Cincy airport? The reason I asked that is, did any nerd give you the fun fact that that airport's actually in Kentucky? They, no. they People told me that every single time I flew in and flew out. You actually flew into Kentucky and then rode like 45 minutes into Ohio. People loved telling me that when I was there, that in the chili. But anyway, that's wild. So you guys do that, and that's on a Thursday. And then you're kind of um, – and not a car wash, but like your public media availability with Cincinnati happens that Friday. What's that day like? You, you, I mean, you sent me some pretty cool pics. You're getting to see the Bengals facility and stuff like that. What was that Friday like for you guys? Yeah, so we get in, we go meet the owner of the of the team, um, hug him, shake his hand. Like we get a tour around the facility. Um, he Orlando does uh, does a physical because of course for all of it to happen he has to pass a physical but that's where I got to go around and get to do business moves if I made sure I went and met everybody 
who has anything to do with that organization, meaning like social media people, the production manager, the community relations uh, head, all of those things to where we made our rounds through the entire facility. And then Orlando did the media to where he did a bunch of social media production stuff. He did a bunch of uh, like pictures. There's that great one of him on the throne, things like that. And then he went and did his public press conference with all the local media, which was really good. Orlando, back to him being a pro with the media, told some great stories, very personable to where it was just a really good thing um, all the way around that day. A really one of those days where it's like, wow, this is what you work for. This is why you do this. This is there's no two ways around it. How cool this is. That's a great way to put it. And one of the many perks of being friends with you is you're sending me stuff in like the stadium and like you got to see some really cool stuff. But one of the things I don't even know we've ever actually talked about until now is them having a public press conference and flying him in and doing the whole ball of wax for the lack of a better phrase kind of underscores how big of a deal this is because they don't do look the NFL professional media dynamics a little bit different, but they don't do sit down press conferences for every free agent signing. And I don't know if you've thought about it that at all, but did you, did that make it feel like a bigger deal? Because that doesn't happen with every player they sign. No, I didn't know that. Um, So that's cool to know. Um, I just assumed that's just how it went. But the fact that the press conference room was full, everybody had questions, everybody had smiles on their face. So, so yeah, I didn't realize that per se, um, but yeah, that is, that's a great thing. Well, if they sign like a number three slot receiver, who's yeah, be productive, it makes sense. right. He's not getting a presser like that and they're not rolling out. The, oh, I don't know how they roll out the red carpet, but that to me made it feel like a bigger deal. I was honestly surprised by that when you were telling me you were in Cincinnati already. I was like, Whoa, this is a huge deal. And then I'm still weirdly somewhat plugged into the Cincinnati media market. And I'm like, Oh wow. All these people are talking about this. Like uh, our guy Mo Egger is leading like the a block of his show with some Orlando Brown news, like worlds colliding here. So as you kind of wrap up all of this, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask is uh, Orlando has got to be pretty happy with this, huh? Yeah. Orlando's still thrilled. I said, here, you want, let's call Orlando. You want to hear how Orlando's doing? Would that be cool? Yeah, this would probably be the biggest uh, this probably be the biggest podcast audience he's ever been on. This one in Interesting. But the only, the reason I'll give it a try. I'll see if he answers, but I'm saying because he's still so, so happy. I mean, he sent me messages about how happy he was. You can feel the love from everybody. Yes, Orlando's very happy. Let's see I if he'll But yeah, my phone's ringing right now. Oh, we can hear. Him. Hello? Orlando, what's good? Oh my guy, what's happening? OB, I'm actually on a podcast with my best friend from college, Brian Rippey. We're talking about your contract. And he asked if he asked if you were happy. So I was like, look, let's let's hear it from the man. Let's hear it from the man himself. Are you happy? I am very happy, dog. I am very happy. Like, I'm so blessed, man. I'm so blessed. And, I mean, Oh, they caught on guard here, but I mean, dog, the, the work Mike put in, man. I mean, special, special. Like how how he approached it, how he did since day one with me. I mean, special dog, and you know, I, I think you know it's just a testament to your story. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm curious what y'all talking about, but you know, it's just a testament to your story. That's the kind of great he is, and that's the work that he puts out. So, man, I'm just I'm just blessed that he's on my side of things. <laughs> I'm happy as hell. 
Hell yeah. I love that. Who day, Orlando? Tear shit up. I'm so happy for you. This is I'm your biggest fan in Mississippi. We'll just leave it at that. But uh awesome stuff, dude. Great, man. It is great, dog. Uh, who is right? <laughs> uh, well, that's funny. I'm glad you picked up. Again, I kind of went off script. I wasn't sure if you were going to answer, but I appreciate it. I'll leave you be for the night since it's getting into it. I appreciate you for everything, OB. No, I appreciate you. Yeah, I love you too, OB. I'll see you soon. See you. All right, Mount Rushmore for greatest moments in this podcast history. That was pretty crazy. Talk about a flex, Orlando answers. Like, I don't know if we've ever had someone that famous on the podcast. Granted, it came through a friend of a friend of a friend on a phone, but we're not going to count that. That counts. Orlando Brown, guest on this podcast. Um, That's yes. awesome, dude. Yes. So, <laughs> you got to wrap things up. For, well, I want to get in the recruiting bit a little bit before we get out of here, before I keep you all night. Looking back at it now, you learned a lot of stuff. You got a deal done. We talked about at the top that you can exhale, but there has to be some satisfaction in the fact that your client is very happy with what got done as well. Because at the end of the day, you know, everyone talks about agents, you know, the movies make it sound like they're these hard nosed dudes and it is a hard nosed business. But at the end of the day, like you're supposed to make your client happy. And I imagine there was a great deal outside of all the cool stuff y'all got to do of just seeing Orlando Brown, basically the same way he just was on the phone, very genuinely happy with his state in the world and in life in the NFL. Yeah. So what was cool is once the Kansas City stuff we knew was falling through, his one request was, I want to go somewhere where I feel loved. I want to be part of a franchise where I'm a figure of the franchise, the franchise left tackle. You get me that, I'm going to be happy. And through all the bad that happened, all the ups and downs, to have that happen to where there was the red carpet laid out for him, to have him grinning ear to ear signing that deal, to where when I landed back in Miami that night, I got one of the coolest, nicest text messages from anyone when he sent me talking about how much he appreciated it and how much I changed his life and his family's life. And thank you for everything. I'm almost emotional about it, to be honest with you, to where, yes, that's, that's why you do this. That's why you go through everything is to get those kind of personal relationships built to where you really did help someone uh, achieve kind of a wild lifetime fantasy goal actually have happen and be a part of that to where you do feel the gratitude back. That's the kind of stuff where you can really hang your hat on satisfaction and rewarding um, out of this career and profession. That's, that's what it's all about for me. That's incredible, dude. That's really cool. And like one of the things that's so wild about this whole story in your career path and your trajectory is like, I imagine that probably hit you like a ton of bricks one, but like two, there's probably like you were so concerned with like, my God, this guy took a chance on me. Like how do I not fail him to see it kind of go the other way and express him express gratitude that had to just make it incredibly more special. Cause that was probably, you mentioned getting back home that night, the first time and God, I don't know, 15 months since we started talking about this whole thing where you just sat there for a second and were like, okay, we did it. <laughs> like I've actually, this is what's wild. I've actually missed this point. I'll, so this is some fluff piece, but it's really cool, but I've missed it completely. But when I really almost like I almost started crying at one point because that uh, that Thursday in Manhattan after it all had happened, I go to the NFL headquarters to the front to the league office and sitting there having meetings with, you know, the the senior people at the NFL. And one of the ladies was like, this is his first deal. He got this done. 
And no lie, Rippy, the NFL, everybody in that room started clapping for me. While, really? I'm looking, while I'm looking at the skyline in Manhattan of at the league offices, they were so pumped with the deal being the guaranteed money in his pocket. And they said it was my first deal. And I got a round of applause. Like I'm getting chills about it right now. Like that happened. Like how nutty is that? How nutty is that? That that was a, a lifetime moment for me that it's like, oh my God, what this is like, this is not a dream. This is real life. Wait, this is the league office? Yeah, and like whatever that address is, NFL League office in downtown Manhattan. Like I go in there to, of course, just I'm a running off like three hours of sleep. But it's like, OK, I'm in Manhattan after this huge deal. Like, let's go to the league office. And of course, who Orlando is like I'm able to get into the door and I go in there and have meetings. And we're talking about community stuff, Walter Payton Man of the Year. So there was a a purpose and agenda to it. But of course, your people, you're sitting there chatting. And that that's a real story that happened that that was like uh, that. And then when I got back to Miami and got the text message where the two like, oh, my gosh, this is absolutely crazy. <laughs> when did you actually sleep for the first time and feel like you wake up and like, I'm not on this high anymore? Like, I, I finally got a little bit of rest, right? Like, what, a, a couple days later? It was a few days. When I got back to Miami, weird enough, I... <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Plot, our good old buddy, was in town, and I went and met him at the Fountain Blue for a, for a cocktail or two, and that was fun. And I got home though, and had such, was uh, didn't sleep too much that night just because of how amped up I was. Um, and it took a couple of days to settle in, but yeah, it, it was one of those. I wasn't even I was so grossly tired, but just with how everything happened, you couldn't fall asleep. That's wild. This story keeps getting more legendary. A very select few of the listeners will know that man is uh, Johnny <laughs> Heat, um, as as happened one time in March of 2022. Last couple of things on kind of the Cincinnati piece and where you guys are before we go looking forward and get out of here is you mentioned moving to a place where like Orlando wanted to be the guy and wanted to be valued, wanted to be loved. There's some, not all NFL cities are created equal, right? The Rams won a Super Bowl and people are like, oh, they're going to have people at the parade. How is this going to work type of thing? Cincinnati is the polar opposite of those places. And like, I, you know, I, I'm not sure people, like, unless you like live there or you're involved with the team, like fully realize that it's like, there are diehard Bengals people. They are diehard Reds people. They shut down the entire city and have a parade for Reds opening day. When I was up there, they got the soccer team promoted to the MLS. There were 70,000 people on a street in a, oh, whatever, over the Rhine area, just celebrating their first game. Those people love that stuff. How like quickly have you guys gotten the vibe that this is kind of one of those die? Like you left one that's kind of the same. Kansas City, mm -hmm. to their credit, is the same way. How quickly did you pick up on the vibe of like these are diehard sports fans? They love the Bengals, and this is going to be a great experience. Oh, immediately as soon. I mean, you could tell it through Twitter <laughs> the night that it happened. But yeah, once you got there and you met the people, and wow, uh, before I left. Um, Orlando went to eat dinner with like team management and the coaches and stuff like that. And I went to the airport, but there was a 30, there's probably a two minute window where we were taking pictures outside this steakhouse in downtown and five to six people walked by and stopped dead in their tracks and just like looked at Orlando and like smiling, kept walking. I remember vividly one guy and his girlfriend or wife were walking and the girlfriend wife had to like, pull him away because it was like that's sort of 
that's him. Like <laughs> that just happened. So that's when you could feel it. And then in the the aftermath of everything, of you mentioned the Reds, we already have Orlando set up to throw out a first pitch at a Reds game at the end of the month. Love so it. It was just so easy. And it was like, yep, let's make it happen. Everybody loves Orlando here. Um, yeah, you could tell immediately of that same type fandom was there, but the hunger. The hunger is even there, is more there since they haven't won the big one. The hunger of like Orlando's the missing piece to the puzzle here. Like, let's do it. You can you can feel that energy um, in the city. Yeah, it really couldn't be a better place for him to be. Quarterbacks, different breed than any other professional athlete on earth. How quickly did Joe Burrow reach out and how quickly did Orlando and him get acquainted? Yeah, so weirdly enough, Joe was in New York that same day, I think, for a charity event in Manhattan. And they met that first day uh, after the contract was or after the contract was agreed to before it was even signed. And he Joe came to Orlando's hotel room and they sat around and had Shake Shack cheeseburgers and talked football for two or three hours um, right off the bat. So, um, yeah, I mean, within 12 hours or 24 hours of it happening those two are talking ball in person together. That's a far cry. I don't know why this story popped into my mind, but the Rockets signed John Wall and he goes to his press conference and James Harden is attending, I think like a Boosie concert in Atlanta, or maybe it was like a rapper's birthday and John Wall was like, what the hell, man? But like, that does go to show you that Burrow is like that dude. Like that had to impress you to some degree. I know kind of a lot of NFL quarterbacks do that, but that had to be very impressive. It was like, okay, this dude, he's different. Like he does this kind of stuff. Cause that really is what separates good NFL quarterbacks and average NFL quarterbacks. Like if you have the talent, those type of intangibles separate yourself. I'm just curious, like what you thought of that. Yeah. I thought it was cool. It was again, back to the whole actually feeling loved there. And we're excited for you to be there. The fact that Joe is calling him and coming to link up with him immediately to talk scheme and football. It's like, yeah, it's business. I've got my left tackle. Like, let's make this thing happen. So kind of projecting forward now, you've had a little bit of a chance to breathe. Obviously, you are a sports agent. You have an agency. Orlando has been the first big client has kind of launched you into the center of this universe. But you are obviously trying to grow. You signed Laquan Treadwell, which we've talked about before. Um, Sounds like you're on good footing with him in terms of his immediate NFL future. How does this change how you view the future? Like what's next? I know we went, like you went, I say week, you went through this <laughs> recruiting round the last fall. You, the Orlando thing was very new and you're trying to figure this out on the fly. How do you approach this now? I imagine you feel more confident. What has changed about your approach to the next crop of guys that you could potentially get? Definitely confidence right off the bat. I know what I'm doing. I can go in and fully say I can get a huge deal done for you. I have my the way my differentiator with the deal of, Hey, I'm going to get it front loaded. You're going to get life changing money guaranteed in your pocket. Here's one and two, like for Orlando's contract, we got over 50% of the contract guaranteed in year one. That doesn't happen. So now I don't just get to that talk. I can point to the tweet from X, Y, and Z big name. And I get to, I just know I'm better at it than I was a year ago. I can, I, I have a better feel with, uh, calls with guys with interactions with guys i learned a lot from stuff that didn't quite go as planned last year on the recruiting trail and now another thing i have like a four-month head start i didn't really even start recruiting till like july last year and now i'm already deep into what it looks like for 2024 to where i already have better leads and guys that hopefully i'll be able to work with 
and I have real legitimate experience under my belt and behind my back of, boom, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I've done for you. These are the guys I'm looking for. Like, let's make this happen. Yeah, because last time, not like as you just mentioned, not only are you behind the eight ball in terms of time, like you didn't have that, hey, look what I just did for this guy who's at the centerpiece of kind of the NFL right now. Now you can have that to point to. And in the process, like looking back at it now, you go through that thing, like the whole first initial recruiting process of that kind of crop of guys. And like, I would say you could have done worse than come out with the Quan Treadwell. Like, I know you probably haven't thought about it that way, but it's like, okay, things could have gone worse through that first time. Now you're a little bit more prepared for it. I guess to kind of like wrap it up or whatever, like what's next? What do you see this being in the next one to two years? Like, how do you kind of view the future? Yeah, well, let's not forget about my guy, Nick Melsop from Delta State University. Oh, yeah. We just got him through a pro day. We're going to try to get him into a camp and on a team somewhere. That'll be huge. Um, but, yeah, if I could get, you know, it, I, I hate to throw a number out there for a goal because I'm looking more for quality over quantity at this point because I am so yeah. small. And that's my – that's where I can win is, hey, that personalized uh, service – but yeah, if I could get two, three guys who will be drafted next year, the year after that, if I could get four or five guys that I can get drafted, then maybe start building out that way um, of the actual practice of the sports representation. That would be great to where give it five to 10 years. Maybe I'm in other sports. Maybe I'm not necessarily on the recruiting trail. I'm more sitting back doing the actual business strategy and whatnot and have other agents working for me. That would be great. I don't know exactly what it looks like that deep to answer your question year next year or two. I need to get some guys drafted. I need to get some guys signed to um, the agency and I need to get them drafted, drafted high and um, on the career trajectory of where they can be where Orlando is in four to five years. No, that was a great answer. I mean, that 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 outlines it pretty well. I guess as we wrap up here, is your mom proud of you? I mean, like at a certain point, like, I mean, you're, I, I mean, I, I say that jokingly, but like if someone had, when you started doing this and you're like, All right, I'm going to get serious about this, you guys moved to Boston. If someone had told you, hey, in less than two years, you're going to have an NFL client, you're going to sign them to guaranteed money, you're going to have another NFL client, and then you're going to be kind of on the heels of a recruiting pitch. You Would you told that guy to like piss off? Like, like there's no shot that happened. Yeah. So yeah, my mom's proud of me. Of course, what I think is real cool is how excited my dad is. My That's dad awesome. is just thrilled. And if you know my dad, you do. He's not huge on showing emotion and everything. But I think I, I could hand him a Powerball ticket. He'd be like, "Well, what about the taxes?" <laughs> he uh, he's apparently bragging to his nurses about everything that happened, showing them pictures of what happened, and like defending the contract and everything we did. Um, to everybody he speaks to. My parents are excited. My wife, of course, has been supportive through every step of the way. She's had to put up with the ups and the downs more so than anyone. Her family is excited. So yeah, I would say my inner circle of people who I care the most about are proud and excited. Um, that's for sure. To answer the telling a guy to piss off, I know I've had this uh, conversation with you before on here, but I remember my first year goal was like to get one NFL client, one guy. He didn't, it wasn't even getting drafted. It wasn't anything that was literally a year and what now, four months ago. Yeah. Um, right around there. And yeah. So yeah, I guess I would have laughed in their face and been like, what the hell happened? 
<laughs> and you know what happened? Orlando Brown Jr. happened. Well, dude, include me in on the circle of people that are proud of you. It's awesome stuff. It really just kind of blows my mind that how all of this has happened. I, I can't say I'm like surprised, but it is shocking to watch unfold. I guess that is the best way to put it, but I'm very proud of you. I appreciate you doing this podcast as always, my man. It's an incredible story. I can't wait to see where it goes from there. And uh, hey, the next time you have some monumental NFL deal that just breaks news, we'll have to have you back on. Maybe next time you'll be like, hey, go through my people. <laughs> no never you're my people Rippy. that's for sure I appreciate you having me on I think it's it's really cool uh that you were you were the first person that like let me come on and talk and, and practice and be able to share this dream and vision with to where even if on that first episode you would have hinted at something along these lines I would have laughed in your face too so I appreciate your support and really your love and everything and all of this it's been really cool to have a best friend in my corner immediately, um, no matter what's happening. So always happy to come on. Maybe this summer we chat about everything too. Uh, would love to stay, just continue the conversation as everything can, you know, progress us forward in, in this crazy business. Love you, dude. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, love you, Rip. See you, man. All right, that'll do it for our show today. I always enjoy these podcasts. Enjoy having my uh, good pal on to recap what is a very cool story. And uh, hopefully he'll, he'll only continue to grow, but uh, definitely proud of him. And uh, very, very, uh, very cool stuff. Anyway, we'll be back next week, Sunday baseball conversation, some football and uh, whatever else comes to mind. We'll holler at y'all soon. Y'all have a great weekend.